We all know the benefits of blood transfusions, but what are the clinical implications of transfusing stored blood? You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures. And my guest is Dr. Jonathan Stamler, George Barth Geller Professor of Research in Cardiovascular Diseases at the Duke University Medical Center in North Carolina. Dr. Stamler and I are discussing the clinical implications of transfusing stored blood that were discovered through his recently published research. Dr. Stamler, welcome to ReachMD. Thank you for having me. Tell us about your medical background and your position at Duke University. I'm a practicing cardiologist and pulmonologist. I'm a professor of medicine, and I spend a fair amount of time in the lab. And what gave you and your research team the idea to research the quality of stored blood in the first place? We have been studying the idea that the respiratory cycle is, in fact, a three-gas system. We're used to hearing about oxygen and carbon dioxide, oxygen taken up by the lungs, and carbon dioxide produced by tissues and exhaled by the lungs. We have proposed that, in fact, this respiratory system is a three-gas system, oxygen, carbon dioxide, and nitric oxide, all carried in red blood cells bound to hemoglobin. So our view of this respiratory cycle is that you take up oxygen in the lungs, that oxygen is carried by hemoglobin in red blood cells into tissues, where the gas nitric oxide is released in order to dilate blood vessels so that that oxygen can be delivered to tissues. Carbon dioxide is then taken up by the red blood cells and exhaled in our lungs. And so in our view, respiratory cycle has a critical role for nitric oxide in the delivery of oxygen. And how did your team figure out what was happening inside the patient when blood was transfused? Did you do clinical work in patients, or was this lab work, animal work? Tell us what the details were. There have been many studies indicating that blood might not be doing what we had hoped. That is to say that there is a worrisome increase in the number of heart attacks and an increase in mortality associated with blood transfusion, and there's not been a good explanation for why. We proposed then or hypothesized that blood might be deficient in nitric oxide, whose role it is to dilate blood vessels and get that oxygen to the tissues. We therefore went and examined blood in blood banks and verified that this was in fact the case. So blood that is stored in blood banks rapidly loses its nitric oxide. So blood is stored for about 42 days, And as long as we have it in the blood bank, it remains profoundly depleted of nitric oxide. How quickly does this depletion occur? And is it a straight line curve or does most of it happen at the beginning? It's down by about 70% at day one and remains depleted through expiration at day 42. So we have 14 million units transfused into about 5 million people in the United States. All of the blood in our blood banks is effectively deficient in nitric oxide. Did you do research to show what might happen if the nitric oxide was added back in before transfusion? Yes. We determined that the depletion of nitric oxide resulted in an impaired ability of red blood cells to dilate blood vessels. We then took those red blood cells, reconstituted the nitric oxide, and demonstrated that red blood cell vasodilation was restored. In addition, we infused red blood cells depleted and replete in in nitric oxide into dogs and examined coronary blood flow. The repletion of nitric oxide markedly improved coronary blood flow. And is this vasodilation different from the kind of vasodilation that you can get with other kinds of drugs? Yes. Interestingly, this is a regulated mechanism for dilation of small 
blood vessels in the tissues. Blood vessels in tissues dilate in proportion to need. That vasodilatory mechanism is regulated by hemoglobin in red blood cells through a synchronized mechanism in which both oxygen and nitric oxide are delivered together. That is quite different from the increases in flow that might be caused by drugs like nitroglycerin or a calcium channel blocker. Those drugs tend to dilate larger vessels and don't do so in the same regulated manner. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Bloom, and I am speaking with Dr. Jonathan Stamler, George Barth Geller Professor for Research in Cardiovascular Diseases at the Duke University Medical Center in North Carolina about his research that discovered issues with the quality of stored blood that could affect patients who are transfused. Can you give us some of the statistics about just how bad transfusing blood might be for patients? There are a number of studies that have demonstrated an increased incidence of hospital admissions, length of stay in hospital, intensive care unit admissions, heart failure, MI, and even death. The increased risk varies overall, but I would estimate about a 20% increase in death, 50% increase in MI, and 50% increase in heart failure. Those are really unbelievable statistics. Are we doing anything about that? What are the clinical implications that we should be looking at? The medical community has known about this and has struggled greatly with this issue. So this is not a new issue. And the question of transfusion trigger has been increasingly challenged. What we've observed is that clinicians have simply given less blood. So many of us were taught the 30-10 rule, transfusion at a hematocrit of 30, hemoglobin of 10, but those numbers have not really held up in studies, as we just discussed. Accordingly, the response has been to simply transfuse less. Today, the recommendations are almost left to physicians. Physicians can transfuse anywhere between hemoglobins of 6 and 10. We really transfuse as a last resort in the hopes that we don't let patients get any worse. Transfusion is no longer used as a therapeutic agent, but rather as a last resort to stop patients from getting worse. So we really do have a problem. We've come to an understanding that the blood may not be normal, but just how to correct this problem has not been evident. And has your research shed some light on what we might be able to do to correct this blood? I think it does. I think that it certainly gives us a rationale for why blood hasn't worked. That is, why blood is not delivering oxygen as efficiently as we'd hoped. And that's why we see, for example, an increased incidence of multi-organ failure and heart attacks. And in that sense, our demonstrations that we can replete the nitric oxide levels that are deficient and improve what we think is an accurate measure of oxygen delivery, namely blood flow, makes a lot of sense. I would like to believe that we do have an opportunity here to really contribute to this problem of adverse outcomes associated with transfusion. My hope is that we will not only be able to cure some of this defect, but rather change the way we use transfusions. In the best case scenario, we would actually use blood therapeutically. As I said before, we no longer use blood to improve an outcome. We use blood to prevent someone from getting worse. It's a strange way of using a therapeutic. But in fact, we know that as hematocrits drop even mildly, patients tend to do worse. 
what I'd like to hope is that we could actually reconstitute the nitric oxide levels in blood and give blood therapeutically, for example, to a patient who's having a heart attack. If you knew that a patient is not getting enough oxygen, it would, in principle, make a lot of sense to give them a transfusion replete in NO, nitric oxide, which can open the coronary arteries that are blocked. When we have patients who are deficient in oxygen, we give them oxygen. Is there something, even if we're not transfusing them, that we should be doing at the same time? I mean, these are excellent questions. Interestingly, we give people oxygen, but oxygen does not necessarily benefit our patients. Patient doctors in intensive care units know well that the oxygenation status of the blood is not an excellent predictor of oxygen delivery to tissues and that something is generally missing. We think that that factor is, in fact, the nitric oxide content of blood, which determines whether blood flow to tissues is adequate. So measures in the intensive care unit to improve oxygenation and to improve blood flow, so to speak, to tissues have not borne out in clinical trials. If we are able to measure the nitric oxide in red blood cells and to ensure that tissues get the oxygen properly, that delivery is done properly by these red blood cells, I think that we have a chance to address a number of defects that are associated with a wide variety of diseases of heart, lung, and blood. Is there a way for us with technology we have right now to deliver nitric oxide to those patients? Yes. So there are a number of approaches that can be taken to replete the nitric oxide level of blood and to form what is known as this molecule S-nitrosohemoglobin. This is the nitric oxide derivative of hemoglobin that dilates blood vessels for therapeutic purpose. This can be done today, although the trials in humans have not started. But the ability to do this is there, and it is not a technically difficult procedure. Are there some downsides of having too much nitric oxide in your system? In principle, yes, but the red blood cell is very clever. It only delivers what it needs. So red blood cells can sense the oxygen requirement of the tissue. The hemoglobin in the red blood cell then undergoes sort of a shape change, and releases nitric oxide in proportion to demand. If a tissue needs a lot of oxygen, it releases more so that the blood vessels open, the red blood cells can get in and deliver their oxygen. On the other hand, if a tissue doesn't need that much, the hemoglobin doesn't undergo a shape change and the nitric oxide isn't released. So you can have a lot of nitric oxide, but the body is effectively protected from it. So this whole issue of synchronized delivery in these microvessels for purposes of oxygen delivery is an aspect of cardiovascular biology that has not really been considered. A holy grail almost in many diseases, hypertension, heart failure, diabetes, is the ability to regulate the small vessels, the microvessels. This is the job of the red blood cell. Many of these diseases have deficiencies of nitric oxide in the red blood cells that might be therapeutically addressed by NO repletion specifically to red blood cells. Dr. Stamler, does transfusing blood have any benefits? Certainly. So if a patient is exsanguinating, losing a very large amount of blood, it's very clear that they need blood and should be transfused. The question as to how much they should receive is open still. We really don't know how much blood people need and when the risks begin to overwhelm the benefits. That is all the more true for virtually every other patient population. That is, all physicians have this feeling that ultimately we need blood. There's going to be some cutoff where people will benefit from transfusion. But importantly, there are no clinical efficacy standards for blood transfusion. We have not, in clinical trials, established that efficacy trigger. That needs to be worked out 
in clinical trials. Thus, currently, with the exception, I think, of severe trauma, exsanguination, it really remains to be determined when blood is beneficial. Transfused blood saves lives, but recent discoveries about stored blood raises concerns about safety and efficacy. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Jonathan Stamler, George Barth Geller Professor for Research in Cardiovascular Diseases at the Duke University Medical Center in North Carolina for discussing his research that discovered issues with the quality of stored blood that could affect patients who are transfused. I'm attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments. Please visit us at ReachMD.com, where you can find our new on-demand and podcast features that will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening.